0: It's good to be back with you this evening, and we're looking forward to what God might have to say to us tonight from his word. A number of years ago—in fact, uh, probably a greater number than I would care to count—when I went out for football in high school, one of the first things that I learned that the coach drilled into us was that every play that we ran was designed to make a touchdown— If every blocker executed his assignment and blocked his man, if the ball carriers did their faking and handled the ball and didn't fumble, then we were sure to make a touchdown on every play. But even you ladies who are not interested in football know that in real life this never happens. Very seldom, in fact, uh, does a play result in a touchdown. And the reason is, that there are 11 men on the other team who are dedicated to seeing that that offensive team does not make a touchdown on that play. You know the Christian life is like this. We learned last week that God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And so we are encouraged and exhorted by the apostle Paul to work out our own salvation confident that God is working in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. And yet, the scripture tells us that there are obstacles in the way. There is an opposing team, shall we say, and we see what the nature of this team is in Galatians chapter 5 and the verses that were read to us earlier this evening. And I'd like to just repeat those in your hearing, Galatians 5, Verses 16 and 17. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. In the Christian life, we see here a conflict between the Spirit of God who is working within us and the sinful nature which we still have, even though we have been delivered, as we learned last week, from the dominion of sin. God has delivered us from the dominion of sin, but he has not taken from us that sinful nature. And so this conflict arises in the life of the Christian. Now, the non-Christian does not have this conflict. He may struggle with some habits that he doesn't like, but his conflict is not between the spirit and the sinful nature. But once we become a Christian, this conflict begins. And the more we pursue holiness, the stronger this battle rages. And so oftentimes we come to the words of the Apostle Paul when he says in the 7th chapter of Romans in the 21st verse, when I want to do evil... Good. When I want to do good, evil is right there beside me. And I'm sure that this is the testimony of every one of us tonight. When I want to do good, it seems so often, evil is right there beside me. Now the battleground for this conflict is the heart of man, the heart of the Christian. The heart being our innermost being, the real you, so to speak. But basically, the heart composed of the mind or our reasoning or our intellect, that which we understand and reason with, the desires or the emotions, that which we feel and respond to in an emotional sort of way, and lastly, of course, our will. And so we have our reason, our desire, and our will. And these three together comprise what the scripture refers to as the heart. And this is the battleground. This is where the battle is fought. And that is why God says to us in Proverbs 4, verse 23, Above all else, whatever you do, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. So tonight we'd like to consider two or three or four obstacles in the way, just depending on how our time goes. I put the first two that are the most important and the most all-encompassing here at the beginning so that we will be sure to get to them. The first obstacle is mentioned to us in that verse from the prophet Jeremiah that Steve read to us tonight, Jeremiah 17, verse 9, for those of you who are taking notes, which says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately corrupt. Who can know it? The heart is deceitful. Now, this deceit is an expression of our sinful nature. This deceit clouds our reasoning ability. And so as we begin to reason out in a moral sense or in a spiritual sense, our hearts are deceitful, and we cannot trust them. Our hearts, for example, rationalize reasons why we should do wrong back a couple of months ago before christmas i had to make a a week-long trip on business for the navigators and so i decided that uh, before i left on that trip that i would take an afternoon from the office and do all of my christmas shopping in one fell swoop and so i went home for lunch and started out immediately after lunch and went to first this store and then to that and along about four o'clock in the afternoon it began to snow But I kept right on going because I was determined that I was going to do all of that shopping in one afternoon. Then about 5.15, as it was getting dark, the streets were almost deserted. Everybody else with any brains had gone home by this time. And uh, I pulled up in front of the Christian bookstore. The street was deserted. There was only one other car on the whole street, and he pulled in just ahead of me. And as I pulled in, this thought went through my mind. You know, the meter maid won't be coming along this afternoon, will she? And besides that, uh, Jerry, I don't think you have any pennies in your pocket, and you're only going to be in there five minutes. And besides that, that fellow that pulled in just ahead of you, he went in without putting any money in the meter either. And so I got out of my car, walked past the parking meter, right into the store. But you know, God went in with me. And while I was there trying to select some books to give to our children as Christmas presents, God kept saying, Jerry, what about that parking meter? Jerry, what about that parking meter? And so finally, I was convicted enough in my heart that I went out And I took care of that parking meter. Now here's the fellow that wrote the book, The Pursuit of Holiness, Cheating a Parking Meter. (laughs) Why would I do that? Because I have a deceitful heart. And all of the reasons that I gave you why I should not put any money in that parking meter, tonight as I stand here and recite them to you, they sound perfectly ridiculous. But that afternoon, they deceived me. My evil heart deceived me. And our hearts are good at rationalizing why we should do evil. Not only does our heart rationalize, our hearts excuse and justify us. We find an example of this in the life of, of King Saul. You remember that one of his very first assignments after becoming king was to go out and to slay the Amalekites. And God said, I want you to completely wipe them out. Every man, woman, child, cow, sheep, oxen, whatever. I want you to wipe it clean. And so Saul went out with the army of Israel and he did battle with the Amalekites. And he wiped them out except for the king of the Amalekites and the sheep and the oxen. And so Samuel came along. And he said, have you fully obeyed the voice of the Lord, the commandment of God? And Saul said, yes, I have. And Samuel said, well, what is this, the bleeding of the sheep and the mooing of the oxen that I hear? And Saul said, oh. He said, we save those to offer sacrifices unto God. And Samuel said to him, Saul, when you were little, in your own eyes, God took you and he anointed you king and he would have made your house secure unto you if you had fully obeyed his voice but you didn't do it and Saul said oh yes I did and Samuel said no you did not and finally Saul said yes I have sinned and you know what he gave as as his excuse he said I was afraid of the people His evil heart had deceived him. Not only had he caused him to rationalize himself into a position of disobedience, but then he excused himself and he justified himself for his sin. And so oftentimes we find ourselves in a position of sin and our evil hearts try to justify it. We're angry with somebody or we're burning with resentment and we will not let that go. And we say, I know I shouldn't be bitter, but. Well, if you shouldn't be, then stop being bitter. But we say, I know I shouldn't be, but. I know I shouldn't do this, but. And our deceitful, evil hearts excuse and justify our sin. And then the third thing that our deceitful, evil hearts do, do, it causes us to think that mental assent to the Scripture is the same as obedience. In James, the first chapter, in verse 22, we read these words, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. If you come and you listen to the sound of the word of God as it's preached here in this church, and you go out and you do not practice it, the scripture says you are deceiving yourself, and that is your heart that is deceiving you. And we come here, and we sit, and we listen to this, or to the pastor this morning, and we say, yes, that's right, I know that that's something I should do, but we walk right out that door, and we forget it. We have no intention of of carrying it on. Let me read to you tonight just a few verses from Ezekiel chapter 33. God speaking of the children of Israel in Ezekiel 33 beginning with verse 31 God said to the prophet Ezekiel my people come to you as they usually do and sit before you to listen to your words but they do not put them into practice with their mouths they express devotion but their hearts are greedy for unjust gain. Indeed, to them you are nothing more than one who sings love songs with a beautiful voice and plays an instrument well, for they hear your words, but they do not put them into practice. My friends, let me say this tonight. If there is any one passage of scripture that God put in the Bible, that so accurately describes 20th century evangelical Christians, surely it must be this passage. We come and sit, and we hear the word, and it's to us beautiful. But we go out, and we do not put them into practice. And why? Because our hearts have deceived us into thinking that assent to the word of God is equivalent to obedience. And so we have these deceitful hearts. It's sort of like having the second-in-command of an army being for the opposite side because this heart is right inside of us, constantly working to deceive us and to bring us into sin. But there is a solution. There's a solution to this problem. God says in Hebrews 4.12, that the Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing asunder of soul and spirit of the joints and marrow. And listen to these words. It judges the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Spirit of God, using the Word of God, has an incredible way of opening up our hearts and exposing the deceit that's there. Exposing these rationalizations exposing these empty excuses and justification for continuing in our sin. The Spirit of God will do this as we expose ourselves to his ministry through his word. But in order to benefit from this, we must recognize that we have a problem. We must admit that our hearts are deceitful. And for some reason, Christians have a problem with this— we are reluctant to admit that we have deceitful hearts. Suppose I were to come to you tonight and let's say that suppose that you had terminal cancer and let's suppose that I had in my possession a book which if you read this book and applied it would cure you. Now to my knowledge there is no such book but I'm just giving you a hypothetical situation. But I come to you in your hour of need, and I offer you this book, and I say to you, if you will read this and apply what it says, you will be cured of your cancer. And you say to me, oh, but you don't understand. I don't have cancer. Now, I'd like to read your book because I have a friend over here, Fred or Joe, they need it. But I don't have cancer. And you could read that book for Fred or Joe and never apply it to yourself. And so oftentimes this is what we do with the word of God. We read it and we apply it to someone else. God said in the book of Isaiah chapter 66 and verse 2, this is the one I esteem he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word he who comes with word that comes to the word with a humble and contrite spirit knowing that he is needy I would suggest to you that you take a passage of scripture like 2 Timothy 3:16 which says all scriptures inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And as you go to the scripture each day, or as you come to church on Sunday morning or Sunday evening, you pray over that verse of scripture and you say, God, tonight I ask you to teach me. I ask you to reprove me where I need reproving, to correct me where I need correcting, and to train me or to discipline me. In the way of righteous living. We have a deceitful heart, and only the Spirit of God using His Word can open that heart and expose its deceit. The second thing that we have is our sinful desires. James chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, again one of the passages that was read for us tonight. And let me just repeat it for us, particularly verse 14. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. James says that this obstacle, just like our deceitful hearts, dwells right within us. It is our own evil desires that drag us away and entice us into sin. Now somehow we have the idea, sort of the vague conception, that we walk through life very innocently and suddenly temptation pops up and hits us right in the face and we succumb to it. The truth of the matter is that our own sinful desires have a radar antenna that's sticking out And they're on the watch for temptations that they can succumb to. Now, if you don't believe that this is true, you take some besetting sin, some problem that you are particularly vulnerable vulnerable to, and you watch yourself this week. How often your sinful desire is looking for that temptation to respond to. Now, all desire, of course, is not evil. What we're speaking about here tonight is sinful desire. God created man with those faculties that we discussed earlier in the message of reason, desire, and will. And in his original order, God intended that our our reason or our understanding should lead the way in understanding his will Our own will should readily consent to doing that will, and our desire should delight in doing it. As it said of Jesus over in the 40th Psalm, I delight to do thy will, O my God, yea, thy law is within my heart. Prophetically, Jesus there saying, thy law is within my heart, I love thy law, I do it, I understand it, and I delight in doing it. And this should be us. But as someone has observed, ever since the Garden of Eden, man has listened to his desire more than to his reason. So that desire has become the strongest faculty of our soul. So now, instead of enlightened reason leading the way, our desires lead the way. And then our deceitful hearts follow along trying to rationalize, excuse, and justify what we're doing. So we tend to do not what we should do, but what we want to do, what we like to do, what we feel like doing. We tend to live by our feelings, by our desires. And this is why we so often fall prey to the sins of desire, the sins of lust and gluttony and laziness and envy and greed, and resentment, and a whole host of other sins that are all attracted by our evil desire. Let me say again, there is nothing wrong with desire as such, but it is when our desire gets outside of the bounds of God's will that it becomes sin, sin, Over in the third chapter of Genesis, you remember that Eve got in trouble when she followed her desire. She saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and it was desirable to make one wise. And we say, oh my, that tree was such an awful temptation. No. In the second chapter of Genesis, we read that all of the trees of the garden were pleasing to the eye and were good for food. God created this earth to be enjoyed. But then Satan came along, and he made Eve go beyond the bounds of God's will. And ever since then, our desire has been pushing at the boundary of God's will, constantly falling prey to the sins of desire. What is the solution for this obstacle? How are we going to overcome it? Again, we must recognize that we have a problem. Secondly, we have to learn to distinguish between that which is according to God's will and that which goes beyond God's will. Let me give you three suggestions whereby you can distinguish that which is according to God's will and that which goes beyond. First of all, be careful of anything that tends to master you. Now, you may think that I am referring to alcohol, tobacco, drugs, I have a friend of mine who was mastered by football. He happens to be a graduate of one of the Big Eight universities, and in fact he played on the football team. And his wife told me just a year ago in his very presence, in his hearing, she said, you know, Jerry, on Saturday the children and I cannot be around Bob. He is so on edge. Whether or not his team, the team that he played on, is going to win today. Football had mastered him. Be careful of anything that tends to master you. Secondly, ask yourself this question. Can I give thanks for it? Can I give thanks for this of which I am about to partake or indulge in, believing that it comes from God's gracious hand for my enjoyment? And the third thing Does this tend to glorify God through enjoyment of that which he has so graciously provided? Now, having determined the boundaries of God's will, what then do we do about those desires that tend to go beyond his will? Well, Colossians 3.5 gives us a clue. It says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Paul says all of these evil desires are to be put to death. Next Sunday night, I'm going to expand on these words. What does it mean? What does the scripture mean when it says put to death these evil desires or these sinful deeds of the body? This is one of our primary responsibilities in the pursuit of holiness. So if you want to know about that, you be with us next Sunday night. Now, these are the two primary obstacles in our pursuit of holiness, our deceitful hearts and our sinful desires. Notice that both of them are within us. It's not the things external to us that give us the problems. It's our own sinful heart. But there is a solution. We do not have to be run over, so to speak. We do not have to be stopped in our pursuit of holiness by either our deceitful heart or our sinful desire. God has given us a way to conquer them and to pursue holiness. And again, as our theme last Sunday night, God has made it possible.